More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome in, hour number two, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. Encourage you, as always, go subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you don't miss a moment of the show. We are soon to enter December, and obviously many of you still recovering from a long weekend of eating and uh, football watching, unless you were Buck and you just ate. Um, and uh, we want to make sure that you can take this show with us wherever you may be across the country or around the world. You search out my name, Clay Travis, search out Buck Sexton, boom, you will get access to the podcast network, and you will be able to ensure that you never miss a moment, no matter where you are. You can also download the iHeartRadio app, and you can stream this show, as many of you are doing, right through the iHeartRadio app, no matter where you are around the country or around the world. And, of course, we always love and appreciate all of our 500-plus affiliates nationwide for this radio program and appreciate all of you listening wherever you may be around the country or around the world. All right, Buck, we've talked a lot about how the Israeli situation um, has created a huge schism uh, in the overall Democrat identity politics coalition. And I should mention, by the way, before I dive into this data, Julie Kelly going to join us at the bottom of the hour to talk the latest on the Donald Trump uh, charges and what is progressing in uh, Washington, D.C. She is always fantastic. And we're going to be joined at the top of the next hour by Vivek Ramaswamy. All of that still to come. But Axios, in their morning distillation of the political mood and the national consciousness buck, had some really interesting data points about how much there is a panic among uh, the Biden administration over his loss of support among Arab Americans out there. And here are some numbers for you that leapt out at me. Uh, in 2020, Biden won Michigan by 154,000 votes. A little bit more than watched Ohio State and Michigan play in the big house on Saturday. So, relatively small pinprick of the overall Michigan population. 
The state of Michigan, I think this may surprise people, not those of you listening in southeast Michigan, because you know how many uh, Arab Americans there are in your population, but I think this might surprise a lot of you. There are 278,000 Arab Americans in the state of Michigan. That means that if some of those people either don't vote or stay home or I I don't think they're necessarily going to flip their vote. Maybe they just don't show up in the same numbers. Biden won that uh, voting block by around 70 to 30 in the state of Michigan. A couple more states for you, Buck. Biden won Arizona by 10,500 votes. The uh, Arab American population in Arizona, 55,000. And then one more, Georgia, 11,800 votes. Arab American population in the state of Georgia, 57,000. This article in Axios says there is a panic inside of the Biden community that just based on his lost support for Arab uh, voters, to say nothing of Israeli voters or people of Jewish descent, who certainly would be far more likely, I think, to not vote for Biden or vote Republican, this issue alone, could decide, given the population of Jewish and Arab voters in these swing states, could decide the election by itself without anything else in play. Do you buy this as a valid fear buck, or do you think, given that we are roughly 11 months from the election, that this issue will fade in the mind of many Arab and Jewish voters by the time we get to ballot casting? I think it'll likely fade. Um, and, and I think that's in part because the Israeli campaign against Hamas, as I've said along, is going to go for six to eight weeks. And that seems to be maybe, uh, along the lines of, of what the expectation or rather what the end result will be, uh, in line with my expectations. So I don't think that that will necessarily be, uh, determining how a lot of these votes go. But on the other hand, this is a different moment in time than we have seen before. With this kind of a conflict, it's interesting that, you know, you, you see so many of these uh, individuals who are deeply emotionally invested. And a, a lot of them are Muslim Americans, but there are a lot of, you know, white kids on college campuses with purple hair who are very deeply invested in the Palestinian issue for some reason. Um, but this has an emotional resonance with uh, with the left that is is unlike what we've seen in, in other uh, in other moments, I think of national security peril or and, and other moments where all of a sudden we're recognizing that there is evil on the international stage. And so maybe this does linger a bit longer. Maybe there is a possibility here that things continue on in the minds of, of some voters. But, you know, Clay, it's so hard because every voter is going to have all these different determinations you know, first of all, there are people who are going to vote based on what really the last thing they said or heard or, you know, were told uh, about a different candidate or a side, maybe. Um, there will be issues that come up in October and November, even, well, for a few days next year that could change things. There'll be October surprises. I mean, it's just so hard to tell. But what you have seen here that's different, you know, what we can say that's different now, I think, based on the data and based on what we're what we've already uh, understood to be happening here is the Democrat Party cannot be both pro-Israel defending itself, to add some specificity here, and favorable enough to Hamas and to Gaza that it doesn't upset 
the left and some portion of the Muslim American community. You know what I mean? They can't actually straddle yes. this one. They can't have it both ways. That's what's different. And also, I, 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 I don't think that there's going to be a lot of Arab voters that are saying, oh, you know what, I'm going to go vote for Trump or whomever the Republican nominee ends up being. I do think, and I was having an, uh, another conversation about this last night at dinner, I think that there is a massive reconsideration of Republican voting in the Jewish community that could be seismic. And I understand the, the the position is is a, is a good one that eleven months out there are lots of things that we don't know that are going to impact the the race uh, in November of next year. But I do think that if you are Jewish and you have watched the response to October seventh, and you were just kind of you know a lot of people are just they're in a tribe right. You're a Democrat tribe member. You're a Republican tribe member. It's like being a fan of a, of a fan base. If you're not a diehard political observer, you might just vote the way you have for decades. And a lot of Jewish voters still think that the Democrat party that they're voting for is basically Bill Clinton's Democrat party, right? Um, or even Hillary Clinton's Democrat party, which to be fair to Hillary Clinton, she has been really outspoken on behalf of Israel, uh, and has been eloquent even at times. I saw a clip of her on The View laying out for the idiot audience that watches The View why the idea that Palestine and Israel are equally at fault is so incredibly flawed. But that's not the party of today. And I think this has been a massive red-pilling moment for many different Jewish people. I think we talked about the front page of the New York Times, Buck, having an article discussing how many Jewish viewers suddenly are flocking to Fox News because it's where they were getting and believe that they were getting a more accurate view of what's actually taking place in the Middle East right now than what they were seeing on MSNBC and CNN. And if if you believe, and I think it's accurate, that roughly the Jewish vote was 65-35 in favor of Democrats historically, I don't think it's crazy to think that it could be 60-40 in 2024, that 5% of Jewish voters might be willing to reconsider the side that they vote for um, as a result of what they've seen happen since October 7th. And that is even more seismic because not showing up to vote takes a vote away from the Democrats and Joe Biden. But the flip, we've talked about on this program, even based on all the craziness that went on in 2020, If around 20,000 voters in Wisconsin, in Arizona, and in Georgia changed their vote, Donald Trump would have won the 2020 election. So I don't think that's crazy to think that there might be 20,000 Jewish voters out there that are willing to change their votes in 2024 based on what they've seen happen as a result of October 7th. I think there will be some Jewish American voters who change their votes. I think that as a percentage, it will be very small. Um, but I also think that a very small percentage change could swing a state and possibly swing the election, right? This is, yes. there are so many different ways that this tree can branch out. So it's very hard to make any, any predictions about it right now. But I do think the, I mean, the Biden administration fundamentally has boxed themselves in. I mean, right now, Blinken and, and who's running all Biden foreign policy. I mean, I've spoken to friends in, on the government side who will tell you, and they're deeply unimpressed with Blinken to say the least. Uh, to say the least of it, 
but he's the one who's really calling the shots. Uh, so people ask, well, who's really running things? Blinken is running Biden's foreign policy, not Joe Biden. And they keep saying they hope they can extend the ceasefire, extend the ceasefire. Okay. Well, yeah, we want to get the hostages back. But when that's done, Israel has to go after Hamas and take out its leadership. Now, capture or kill. So if they want to surrender, fine, but they have to go get them. They can't actually allow them to continue to be in charge of, of this terrorist entity. And it almost feels like Democrats think, well, maybe we can just keep delaying this thing until Israel forgets or something. I don't, I don't know. They're not going to forget. They need to do this. If they don't do this, it will be in essence a victory for Hamas. If Hamas is able to endure and fight another day as it is uh, constituted right now. And I think that's where the Biden administration, they're almost just delaying and hoping that this new cycle will change. But ultimately, they either back the war against God, I mean, a war against Hamas and Gaza, or they don't. I would also put this out there. There are going to be October surprises. What if Hamas stages another substantial terror attack against Israel between now and when our 2024 elections occur? I think that would move even more. Jewish voters into the Republican camp because if they stage another terror attack, it probably will occur because there's been pressure on Israel not to go after Hamas as aggressively as Israel might have otherwise done. And so I think all of that really puts in in play, and we haven't even talked very much about it, Buck, but Ukraine basically has lost the war, it seems like. You know, they are down to almost no manpower left. The stalemate that exists there where they basically have got trench warfare in place. Remember, it was supposed to be the big offensive from Ukraine this past summer. They didn't take any new territory. And now it seems like Russia's advantage in men and material could lead to a severe puncturing of the Ukrainian defensive line at some point once winter is over there and it gets easier to mobilize. We move into spring. I, I feel like there's almost going to have to be a sue for peace situation that plays out in Ukraine before all is said and done. How is that going to impact 2024? I think that's pretty significant, too. You know, we're doing something special for you and others this weekend in Tampa, Florida. It's this year's Invest Wealth Summit organized by Rad Diversified. It's an opportunity to learn how to create financial freedom and security for your future. You're going to hear from a wide variety of speakers, including myself, as well as Dutch Mendenhall, Tucker Carlson, Lisa Booth, and so many others. It takes place this Friday through Sunday, December 1st through 3rd. Dutch Mendenhall is the co-founder and CEO of Rad Diversified, a company that introduces you to alternative investment ideas that can lead you to wealth. Dutch himself has done well, growing a $200 million real estate portfolio from scratch. Learn how to diversify your portfolio without relying solely on Wall Street. Explore alternative investments, gain access to unique opportunity and hidden gems, uncover untapped potential in real estate startups and innovative technologies. You'll learn about how to reduce your tax burden and much more. Expand your investment horizons and secure your financial future. Make your last-minute plans to get to Tampa and secure your seat by going to investwealthsummit.com. That's investwealthsummit.com. Keeping it real. Keeping it honest. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. 
have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of us. We're figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it it would have been been juicy. The podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back into Clay Anbach. I want to take some of your calls and also get some of your VIP emails before we uh, dive into the latest in the legal world. All things get Trump from the legal system and also maybe talk to her a bit about Hunter Biden's go on offense strategy, which has been written about a bunch lately. White House Clay, very upset that Hunter Biden is not closely coordinating with them on this. That was what uh, I think it was Politico reporting that or Axios, same thing. Um, and, uh, no surprise, they realize that Hunter is uh, a liability going into this this election, which is certainly the case. Um, wanted to see what we got here from uh, Steve in Allentown, Pennsylvania. What's going on, Steve? Clay and Buck, Shields High. Shields High, sir. What's going on? God bless you both for doing the good work. Appreciate I, that. I think. I think you're, um, I, not you personally, I think some Republicans are looking at this all wrong. You know, the, the Biden forgiving student loan debt. 
you see yeah, okay, how? I see opportunity. I say somebody like Ron Paul introduce a bill that not only should they forgive student loan debt for everybody, you know, in the last 10 years, I say everybody who's still alive. If Joe Biden wants to write me a check for a quarter million dollars for what I spent on college, why not? Let's let's see the Democrats try and explain how they can only repay student debt for these people, but not all Americans. Yeah, thanks for the call. I I, I think again, your point is a is not a bad one, right? If you paid off your student loans as I did, as many of you have or are doing, then effectively you are being cheated by the government coming in and paying off the people's loans who were not as responsible with their own personal finances as you were. And ultimately, I, I, I think, Buck, I mean, the beneficiary is not only the individual who is having the debt taken off their books. It's also the universities, which are in no way being encouraged to lower the cost of attending college, which is why these debts were taken out in the first place. And I think increasingly that tying this in with the, the what we saw happen with the uh the fallout from Israel and Hamas, I'm looking around, I'm like, I don't know that you're getting a value you used to from a Harvard or Yale or Stanford level education when these elite institutions are the ones that are leading the charge. Yeah. In favor of, uh, of, of supporting Hamas. Let's get to, uh, Philip in St. Paul, Minnesota. What's up, Philip? Yeah, guys, I'm, I'm curious as to what a poll I'm asking how Nikki Haley stacks up against Gavin Newsom in the general election would look. Uh, the reason I ask is I'm, you know, with Gavin Newsom showing up at the White House, doing, uh, Ron DeSantis having a debate, I'm 99% convinced that he's going to parachute in um, at the convention. I think Trump is going to get the nomination, but he's going to be convicted in D.C. for seditious conspiracy and going to be removed from the ballot. And they're going to insert Nikki Haley into that spot. So she's got all the big money behind her now. I just think that's going to be the scenario. So I'm I'm curious as to how she would stack up against uh, Newsom uh, in a poll. Um, oh, there's Nikki not a Haley lot of Nikki Haley Newsom polls that I've seen. Have you seen any, Buck? I think Nikki Haley would beat Joe Biden just like I think Vivek would, just like I think Trump would, and just like I think DeSantis would. Um, but there's a lot of stuff you laid out there. Uh, we'll talk more about this with Vivek in the next hour. Julie Kelly up next. In the meantime, switch to Pure Talk. Benefit from a great offer right now. Free Moto G 5G phone waiting for you when you sign up for Pure Talk's unlimited talk, unlimited text, and 15 gig data plan. Just 35 bucks a month, and you get the Moto G 5G phone for free. Phones this good, deals this great, they go fast, certainly before the end of the month. So if your current phone is on its last legs, upgrade for free with Pure Talk. Enjoy two-day battery life, a quad-pixel camera, whole lot more. Just dial pound 250, say the keywords Clay and Buck to speak with Pure Talk's U.S. customer service team. They make switching so easy. Make sure you will get a new phone as well. Remember, Pure Talk, America's most dependable 5G network, half the price, Make the switch today. Dial pound 250. Say the keywords Clay and Buck. Moto G 5G phone with qualifying pan, uh, plan. Pure Talk. Simply smarter wireless. Welcome back in. Clay Travis. Buck Sexton Show. Joined now by one of the most diligent and hardworking people in all of media. Julie Kelly, who has been covering the January 6th cases 
in a way that, frankly, almost no one else has. Uh, and we appreciate all the work she's done and coming on the show for almost three years now, uh, off and on, to continue to update all of you. So first, thanks, Julie. Second, Buck and I have been talking. By the time we come back from New Year's, we are going to be about eight weeks out, theoretically, mm-hmm. from the start of Jack Smith's trial against Donald Trump. Is that actually going to start, you think, on March 4th? Where are we, and when would we find out if March 4th is not going to be go time? Because for as much attention as everybody's given to Iowa and New Hampshire, which are obviously on the horizon too, even more unprecedented is we're not very far away from what would be the start of the first criminal trial of a leading presidential candidate in any of our lives. Right. You're exactly right. And there is a pretrial schedule of sorts already uh, that's been underway now for the past few months. And I'll tell you what is going to start on January 9th is the beginning of the jury selection process, which should be very interesting. Um, we're still awaiting Donald Trump's lawyers to file a change of venue motion, which we are expecting really any time. But she will deny that, as has every judge who's handled a January 6th change of venue motion, denied every single one. Um, but by January 9th, Judge Chutkin has asked both sides for a draft of a jury questionnaire, which will be sent to hundreds of D.C. residents to begin weeding out unqualified jurors as uh, they try to pick an impartial jury in a city that voted 92 percent for Joe Biden. So that will begin right after the first of the year. What what kind of other decisions have we seen, Julie? Thanks for being here with us uh, from this judge that indicate the uh, what what Trump can expect here. I mean, my understanding is that there have been a number of motions put before her, and that effectively at this point, um, anybody who thought the fix was in beforehand is looking like that was a a prescient analysis. <laughs> well, it certainly is because as we expected with Judge Chutkin and. I've talked about with you guys repeatedly, she already has a record of making inflammatory statements about Donald Trump himself, about January 6th, and of course, people, his his supporters who went to the Capitol that day. So she's already portrayed and proven herself, quite frankly, to be a brazen partisan. And the fact that she's handling this case, of course, they filed a motion for asking her to recuse. She denied that. No surprise there, but she is acting as a non, another member of special counsel Jack Smith's prosecution team, a rubber stamp. So we know that, of course, she imposed this broad gag order against the president, his lawyers, and unspecified parties. That now is on appeal. A three-judge panel at the D.C. Circuit heard that appeal last Monday. A three-judge panel made up of all Democratic judges. I'm sure you'll be shocked to hear that. It's on a temporary stay or hold until they decide what to do with that. Um, Donald Trump has filed three motions to dismiss Jack Smith's January 6th indictment against him for selective prosecution. Of course, a very strong argument there. Unconstitutional and just not meeting the statutory obligations for those four counts in the indictment. Those are still sitting on her desk. But what she did this week is she denied um, defense defense counsel's seeking subpoenas for government, for witnesses for the defense, including missing materials that the January 6th Select Committee did not turn over to the incoming Republican majority as they were required to do by its enabling legislation. 
I'll have a piece up on that soon. There are records, especially uh, Secret Service records and others who their transcripts are not available. Furthermore, you guys, remember we were told that all the materials would be turned over and made public? All of the video interviews, you know, the clips that we saw during the televised primetime hearings, all of those video, full video recordings have not been turned over to the House, to Congress. And that is in violation, again, of the enabling legislation. But what she denied this week is she said, oh, there's no such thing as missing materials. This is a fishing expedition. It's not relevant to the indictment, which, of course, it is, and denied Trump's motion to compel the production of those missing records by NARA and other uh, bodies who are supposed to have them. Julie, I, I just want to go back to the timeline again. You said jury selection process could begin j- January 9th, right out of uh, New Year beginning. I, I keep asking you because I think it's so significant. March 4th is the day before, if I'm not mistaken, Super Tuesday, when there may well be a Republican nominee officially selected. Do you think that Trump is going to go on trial March 5th, or do you think we're going to end up? I mean, that's basically three months from now, if I'm doing the math right here. Or do you think this thing is going to get delayed more substantially and the trial will not begin uh, on March uh, March 4th? I still am surprised, and I'm not completely satisfied that Jack Smith is not going to add a superseding indictment. I know this is something I've talked about with you guys repeatedly. And a superseding indictment would add defendants to this case, and we know that there are six unindicted co-conspirators listed in this indictment, in Jack Smith's indictment. That includes individuals like Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, Jeffrey Clark, John Eastman, people who have been charged in Fannie Willis's indictment. So there's still a chance that he will want to add defendants and add charges. And I'll tell you why. And we've also talked about this. One of the four counts against him is sort of in legal jeopardy, and that's the obstruction of an official proceeding count. That could very well be headed to the Supreme Court because there are now petitions filed before the Supreme Court to take up the legality of the DOJ using that obstruction count against 300-plus January 6th defendants, including Donald Trump. If the Supreme Court agrees to hear that case to reverse the appellate order that has upheld this count, that's going to put his whole indictment at risk. So there's still moving parts to this that I don't think are settled enough to say definitively that that March 4th trial date will stick. Now, it could because we know that they want to expedite this process and get Trump behind bars before Election Day. Um, So Jack Smith still is going to have some obstacles ahead of him. So there's a likelihood that the trial would be delayed if he does uh, hand down a superseding indictment for this case. But for now, I guess we have to look ahead that that date will stick and jury selection process will start. And then you're going to start to see so many more motions filed, you know, motions filed, seeking uh, the appellate court's involvement, and then, of course, the Supreme Court as well. Speaking of Julie Kelly, you can check out her Substack, Declassify with Julie Kelly. And, Julie, before we uh, before we close up here, I just wanted to know the new Hunter Biden strategy of going on offense, despite the fact that he's already been indicted once and maybe indicted again. <laughs> can you shed any light on what you think? the future of uh, the Biden-incorporated legal reality will be? 
You know, it's so interesting. Uh, you know, he, it, look, we've seen Hunter Biden interviewed. He's a very good performer. We know that he's an artist. So I think that he will portray <laughs> himself, you know, as a victim here. He will turn on the waterworks. He will try to get sympathy, um, you know, that he was a legitimate businessman. His father wasn't involved. And so the, this is just all optics. It doesn't look like House Republicans are going to fall for it. Um, but quite frankly, I, I I'd like to keep the pressure up and the focus on what's happening with Donald Trump and the January 6th defendants who are still being rounded up, arrested, uh, prosecuted, sentenced to excessive prison time, um, because I think that that poses a far greater danger to the country and certainly to the 2024 election uh, than, than sort of the theater related to Hunter Biden and who and when and how he's going to testify. All right. Outstanding stuff as always, Julie. You got to keep us updated. Shoot us text anytime you got an update and you need to come on because this is going to get, if they actually start this trial in March, I don't even know how (laughs) crazy it's going to be. But I guess last question really quickly. Do you think there's going to be television cameras in this courtroom? I know Jack Smith has opposed it. The media outlets have all been in favor of it. Trump has been in favor of it. Chutkin obviously does not seem to dislike media attention. Do you think that she would make an exception on a federal trial here, or do you think this is going to be something that people have to cover from inside of the courtroom? This is going to be a huge battle because, to your point, we have Trump's attorneys and major news organizations who are seeking at least one camera in the courtroom, which is generally not allowed in federal trials, but if not a camera, at least real-time audio access, which the D.C. appellate court has. So I'm not sure how Chuck can get, get away with completely cutting off any sort of live coverage of the proceedings, even if it's just an audio, you know, YouTube, which the appellate court has. But Jack Smith, this guy is so dirty. He is so shady. He wants to keep discovery evidence hidden from the president himself. He does not want any real-time coverage. Of course, he wants a gag order. Um, so, you know, this is a prosecution that is he wants held basically in secret. And for major news organizations, and you have to be in the courtroom them or one of the media rooms to, to cover it, because they he wants friendly news organizations to put their spin on what's happening instead of hearing Judge Chutkin, Jack Smith, and all of the evidence uh, in real time so the American people can have access to this unprecedented criminal proceeding. Julie Kelly, everybody. Julie, thanks for being with us. Thanks, guys. Always appreciate you having me on. Some organizations are on a mission. Preborn is one of those. For 17 years, they've opened their clinics to pregnant women making a difficult choice between life and abortion. Preborn's goal is to empower each woman to choose life for their unborn child. They do that by offering free ultrasounds to those women and plenty of support for the first two years of motherhood. The gift of an ultrasound is often the difference maker. When a mother-to-be meets her unborn child and realizes the miracle of life in a new way, it often leads to the birth of that child. That's what the staff at the Preborn Networks of Clinics have been doing every day. And the results are heartwarming. Each day, they're helping to save the lives of 200 babies. That's an accomplishment, particularly in a day and age when abortion is so prevalent. Preborn relies on donations to exist and be effective. And now, through a match, your tax-deductible gift is doubled. And because Preborn supports both mothers and babies with diapers, car seats, counseling, and more, for up to two years, you can offer double blessings. Now is the time to put your year-end write-offs to work. Please donate today and allow your money to have twice the impact by uh, with the matching gift. Use your cell phone, dial pound 250, and say the keyword baby. 
That's pound 250, say baby, or go to preborn.com slash buck. That's preborn.com slash B-U-C-K. Preborn has a 100% charity rating sponsored by Preborn. Want more Clay and Buck that you didn't hear on the show? Get podcast extras in the Clay and Buck podcast feed. Find it on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast. And this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go, like, how do I detach from my this idea of, what do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, team, to Clay and Buck. We're going to be talking to uh, presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy come up here in just a few minutes. So I think that will be a particularly interesting and worthwhile conversation. Much to discuss on that one. And uh, we also have... Some very interesting uh, emails and phone calls coming in. Wanted to get some of those. Here we go, Clay. Uh, VIP emails. Remember, if you want to be a VIP, go to clayandbuck.com. We've got Kitty in California 
She writes, as a California native, I live under Newsom. He is a smarmy used car salesman. He smiles and lies and says what he thinks you want to hear, twists the truth and skirts the issues. Then once you drive the car off the lot and the bumper falls off, he smiles more <laughs> and says you knew what you were getting when you bought it. Too bad, so sad. Clay, do you want to defend your buddy Gavin here? Look, I'm not arguing in favor of Gavin Newsom's policies. I think he has been absolutely wrong on everything. What I would point out is take it outside of California. State of Kentucky, a lot of you listening to us right now in Kentucky, just voted for Andy Bashir, who was wrong on everything to do with COVID. And I think the reason why sometimes guys win and gals is because people just like the way they look when they talk and don't even pay attention to what they say. Gavin Newsom's a pretty good-looking guy. He's got a great Keanu Reeves voice. He's got a winsome, uh, smiley, toothy grin. That stuff works. I'm, I'm just telling you, so much of this is cosmetic BS. Andy Bashir's a good-looking dude. He smiles. He smiles at the right times. People are dumb. A lot of voters are dumb, let's just be honest, and they get sidetracked by cosmetic things. One of the ways you can tell who's good on television, I think Roger Ailes said it, I found it to be true, turn the sound off your television. You can find out whether somebody is good on television without even needing to see a word that they say. Buck, you've done a lot of television. I do massive amounts of television. How often, if you go look at what people say, about television appearances, does the commentary have nothing to do at all with what you said and have to do with what color tie you wore or uh, or how your jacket looks or what your collar looks like or whether you were smiling or how your hair looked? I mean, nothing to do at all with the arguments that are made and everything having to do with cosmetic aspects. The first couple of times I did television, I couldn't believe how little people paid attention to what I was saying and how much they paid attention to what I looked like while I was saying it. Now I'm used to it, but television has turned much of politics into a cosmetic photo test as much as it is anything else. Have you found that to be true on your hits on television too? I mean, I remember I went once and and have you ever had the thing where uh, you, you had like some hair sticking up? Yeah. And, and then, you know, I had almost like a shark fin sticking off the back of, I'm not even going to say what show I was on, but it was like a, like a piece of hair that was just sticking, but I couldn't see it in the camera. But when I turned my head to talk to somebody, I had like this little (laughs) horn sticking out of the back of my head. Do you think people after I finished Clay were like, you know what? That was really a student analysis buck. No, they were like, get a, get a hairbrush, you idiot. Get some yes. hair gel. <laughs> That's all they cared about. So the you know, amount of emails I get saying, "Hey, um, you know, why didn't you shave today?" Uh, it, it is, and and some of you out there are going to understand it. I'm just, I, I think that Gavin Newsom, for a certain segment of the poli- uh, of, of the political base, they're going to support him because he's on their team, uh, and the arguments be damned. And so, I look, Joe Biden is. At 79 years old, I don't know, is he a good looking for a 70 or what is he, 81, I guess? Is Joe mm-hmm. Biden good looking for an 81 year old? I don't know. 
I'm not an expert in 81-year-old looks. He probably looks better, I think, maybe than the average 81-year-old. I don't even have any idea. Gavin Newsom's a good-looking dude, and there are a lot of wine-drinking moms out there that are going to buy into the fact that there's going to be shock troops showing up at your door trying to take your daughter if she's 14 and pregnant and ensure that she has a baby, that the handmaid's tale is right, and they're going to see Gavin Newsom as their knight in shining armor, and they're going to buy into whatever he says, even though what he says is crap. And I say women because, look, you know the data is overwhelming now. Men are going Republican now by like 30 points. Men are going to vote Republican based on some of these surveys I'm seeing, like 65-35. It's not going to be close. A lot of women going to vote for Gavin Newsom because he's going to convince them that shock troops are coming after their daughters if they get pregnant. And they're going to see whatever they want to see in him. And they see a wine drinking. What a nice man. And that's the way they're going to see this debate tomorrow, I think. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 